Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. This is uh, Partner Forum 51. Uh, I believe last week we celebrated our 50th. Uh, For those of you who have been at all 51, uh, you know that we have spanned uh, conversations with elected leaders uh, at the federal level and at the state level. You know that we have uh, involved uh, partners, uh, national experts, a variety of folks on a variety of issues. And uh, today's focus uh, is absolutely one of the imperatives that we at KYA feel like uh, 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 we need to be focusing on. And that is not just child welfare, as important as that broad arena is uh, in, a, in a macro sense, but uh, more specifically, what is happening to our older youth, uh, especially as they transition into more independent living. And uh, that's gonna be the theme today. Uh, we have uh, three folks uh, who are flat out experts on that topic. And you're gonna be hearing from them in, in just a moment. Uh, I do wanna just kind of uh, give a, a, a little bit of a, probably uh, more inside than many of you wanna know, but uh, many of you are familiar with the True Up movement uh, founded in 2011 by uh, Louisville philanthropist and entrepreneur, Frank Harshaw. Frank's very public that uh, he himself was a, uh, uh, a part of the child welfare system growing up. And uh, I frequently hear him talk that except for a good break where he got attached to an adult who made a difference, uh, his life may well have turned out very differently than the very good and successful and, and positive life he lives. So uh, in a lot of ways, what Frank wanted to do way back in 2011 was unrandomize. I think that may be a new word, but we're going to try that out. Unrandomize what it means to be part of the child welfare system. That's what True Up has been about for uh uh, all those years. And we're just delighted that uh, TrueUp uh, officially became part of KYA uh, about a month ago. So the person who has been leading TrueUp for several years, Nikki Thornton, TrueUp's executive director, is now a KYAer, And uh, we're just delighted. Uh, we really feel like there's great synergy between the excellent legacy of TrueUp and uh, what KYA does. So uh, when you hear us talk true up, uh, just understand that's now part of the, the KYA umbrella. And we're really delighted about that. Speaking about Nikki, uh, she doesn't know this, but uh, she said something in a collegial conversation Monday that, uh, that I've been trying to wrap my head around since then. And uh, what she, we were really talking about a different topic, but what she alluded to was that no one knows what it means to be a kid in the child welfare system unless you have been a kid in the child welfare system. I mean, we've got wonderfully devoted and dedicated on the ground partners. Uh, I think my colleague Shannon will tell you that we find a great reservoir of support in the General Assembly as well as the governor's administration. Uh, 
uh, all of us on the call, all of us on the call, uh, understand at a certain level the complexities and challenges of what it means to be a young person in a child welfare system looking at a future uh, that is a little bit ambiguous. So we all know that, we all may feel it, but Nikki, your, your point uh, Monday, I believe is when we had that discussion, uh, has really sunk deeply into me, which is that, that we really have to work hard listening to the young people themselves. Uh, and even then we won't fully understand, but that might be a doorway. So uh, I just want to kind of lift that up, uh, I guess, really to challenge myself, maybe it doesn't apply to any of you, but as I hear today's discussion, I'm not going to bring preconceived notions or assumptions. Uh, I want to kind of enter today's discussion with a, a, a beginner's lens, uh, because I think sometimes all of us, or at least I, sometimes think I know more about solutions than maybe I should. So, Nikki, I want to thank you for kind of sensitizing me, and I hope everybody on this call kind of hears that message uh, to enter today's discussion with a sense of openness and, can I even say, naivete. Uh, we know that uh, it's going to require on-the-ground action, and it's going to require action in Frankfurt and Washington uh, to uh, create a better future for those young people who are aging out of the system that's the topic today, and I'm delighted to kick, kick the rest of the forum off to my colleague and, uh, frankly, child welfare guru, uh, Shannon Moody. So, Guru Moody, take it away. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate that, uh, that intro. Um, we are talking to three folks today that have a lot more insight and uh, knowledge of, of the child welfare system um, than I do. And, uh, and are going to really highlight that as we, as we have this discussion. So today we're hearing from Cynthia Shepherds, Nikki Thornton, and Paula Garner. And I'm going to start by, one, letting them uh, introduce themselves, and then we will have um, some more conversation about what transition age youth means and, and uh, just do some, some ground uh, uh, foundational setting as well. So Cynthia, do you want to start us off? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Cynthia Shepherds. I have actually been in the foster care system since age 13. Um, I ended up recommitting um, until I was 21. So I have experience with the independent living system as well. Um, I'm currently, I volunteer for True Up Louisville um, and also the Youth Action Board. Um, so I do a lot of this kind of work. Um, and I, I'm an open book, so any questions that you guys have, feel free to ask. Thanks for being here, Cynthia. Nikki? Good morning. Thank you, Shannon. Um, I work with TRUEP. I work with young people that have a foster care experience ages 16 and older and other vulnerable young adults ages 18 and older in our community, as well as those organizations who support our young people um, in foster care and just in vulnerable situations. And we will hear a lot more about TRUEP um, over this conversation and over the coming weeks and years. Um, Paula? Yeah, good morning. Um, I am Paula Garner, and I am the president and CEO at Maryhurst. And so at Maryhurst, we do have a continuum of care. And so we do serve 
um, children in residential settings, as well as in the community that children who are still um, within a family setting. So in terms of our residential kids, they um, are almost always uh, in the child welfare system. And so we work with, a, you know, with TrueUp and with KYA and other agencies uh, within the community to partner to make sure that our kids who are in the child welfare system as they are aging out or getting close to aging out of the system um, have the resources that they need. And then I'll talk more later about um, a new program that we've we've launched that we are able to really stay with those kids and help bridge that um, really their entry into adulthood. So I'm very glad to be here. I'm really excited to hear about that as well. So May is Foster Care Awareness Month. I think that was mentioned already, but just in case it wasn't. Um, and we really wanted to focus on um, those older youth who experience foster care and who are looking at um, uh, ahead at, at adulthood and, and, and being part of that transition process. Ideally, young people who are in the foster care system are not aging out without a connection to an adult or ideally several adults. Um, but just to give a little bit of background, on April 4th, 21, in Kentucky, we had 9,156 young people in the out-of-home care system across Kentucky. That includes foster care, residential, and other um, living situations. Uh, we also know that the nature of foster care means that children who are currently in foster care who experience foster care have experienced some sort of trauma. And sometimes it's multiple um, and, and different types of traumas. So just keeping that in mind as we are considering um, when we're talking about solutions or talking about barriers. Um, transition age youth are young people between the ages typically of 16 and 24 who are in transition from state custody um, or, or foster care environments, foster care settings, like residential care, like foster care homes. And what we, uh, I do want to note and highlight is that there is an overrepresentation of children of color and LGBTQ youth in foster care. So just as you're picturing a young person in care, I want you to think about that. And also just want to note um, that one out of five youth in foster care experience homelessness after they turn age 18. So again, just thinking about that as we are hearing from our panelists and as you are thinking about how maybe you can be involved in um, successfully helping young people transition to adulthood. So uh, I'd really like to start with, um, with the whole group and just talking a little bit about what does it look like for young people who are disconnected? What does that actually mean when we talk about disconnected youth or, or young people transitioning out of care? Well, I, I, I don't mind to jump in, Shannon, and, and just say, um, you know, I think so often that term of disconnected, we classify youth that way based on sort of their employment or their enrollment status. And that can be helpful in that, you know, it does help us and encourages us to kind of study the root cause of being disconnected. But I think it runs so much deeper um, than just not having a job or, uh, you know, having a higher education. So, when it comes to foster youth, I mean, the reality is, and, you, and you've spoken on this, but many exit often without, you know, having those supportive adults and that supportive network in place um, that can really just help sort of demystify what it means to move into adulthood. So, I mean, it can be things like, I mean, when I think of what does it look like to be disconnected um, based on the experiences of the youth that we've worked with, 
you know, it can be moving into that first apartment and not knowing how to build a grocery list or, you know, not knowing potentially how to use platforms to look for a, a job. Or when you think about many of us in terms of how we got our first job or, you know, one of we had connections or, you know, our, our family had connections. And, and so if you don't, if you don't have some of those things, um, that can make that very, you know, that very important step of adulthood very difficult. Um, public, tra- you know, knowing public transportation routes or budgeting and how to how to pay bills, um, things like time management. Um, I have an 18-year-old daughter right now, and, you know, we're working a lot on time management. And so just having folks who can work with you on those kinds of things, I think that that can be some of the day-to-day challenges of disconnected. And, and then, um, again, not having somebody that you can go to um, when you run into a challenge or a difficulty and somebody that can kind of give you a leg up. And, and you talked about the statistics, but, um, and I know you mentioned the one in five homelessness. I mean, statistics tell us that a third of, of our folks are homeless by the age of 26, those who age out of, you know, the system. Um, we know that like 80% of men and, and about 50% of women have been arrested by age 26, those who've come out of the system. And, you know, and only about half have graduated from high school. And that those are just things that show that show the needs or are symptoms of the fact that folks don't, you know, the disconnected piece. Um, so obviously I, I want to hear um, from the other panelists. I think we all want to do better. I think we're all wanting to find ways to do better on this. Yeah, I agree, uh, Paula. And of course we have a technical definition as Paula gave, you know, for what a but disconnected youth or young person is. Um, where I see disconnection is in transitions. So when young people are going from, you know, an A6 school to a reside school, when you're going from high school graduation to post-secondary, you know, when you're moving from 18 to, you know, 21, and uh, like Cynthia said, maybe you're leaving states care at that point, and how does that look as you leave states care at 21? So that's where I really see a lot of disconnection as is when our young people are in transition, moving to those next phases uh, within their their life, um, and not necessarily always having enough support or support any support uh, within those times. Um, and so that's where I think we have opportunity to, to provide a lot of support um, is, is when our young people are kind of moving through, you know, to their next opportunity, um, good opportunities often, um, but just, um, you know, really trying to put the pieces together. And I think that's where we can all um, play a role in helping to, uh, even in a temporary way, uh, helping to support our young people. As um, someone who was in the foster care system and aged out, I think the biggest um, kind of disconnection was uh, the lack of support systems like that was mentioned. Um, I, I feel like my life didn't really start going on an upswing until I met Nikki Thornton. Uh, she connected me to a lot of resources and um, through that my support system has grown and um, just being able to use my my voice to advocate and use my experience to do good um, has been really beneficial. But, you know, at the same time, there's there's a lot of youth who slip through the cracks on that um, and don't really find their support systems and don't really have people to hold them accountable when it comes to taking care of their physical and mental well-being. Um, and I think that it can be really challenging if you don't have that base of of taking care of yourself first, it's, 
it's hard to do normal things. It's hard to, to go to school and to focus, um, to, you know, to know what to get at the grocery store or, um, you know, like was mentioned before, it's just, there's so many things that, that you don't think of that, you know, maybe seem like common sense to you, but as someone who grew up with a lot of trauma and, um, you know, an unstable family, we don't, we don't necessarily have those skills. So I think, um, a big part of connection too, is just the, the assumption that, you know, we know what we're doing and that, and that we have things taken care of, but, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's really hard. We started, you know, 10 step steps back from everyone else. So, um, just making sure that, that we're not making assumptions about, you know, people's progress or their mental health and, and making sure to take them really seriously on that. Yeah. Um, most people don't turn 18 and know how to balance a budget or create a grocery list or, uh, pay their bills. Uh, and a lot of that is learned from our, our family members, right? Uh, whether it's our parents or or grandparents or other folks in our lives. So w- let's talk a little bit about why, why we think that that disconnection happens, why we think that, um, that at those transition points, youth are falling through the cracks, as, as Cynthia said. Can speak to that uh, from my experiences, um, and thank you, Cynthia. You, you've been a great support to me as well. Um, what I have experienced and what I have heard from young people is, you know, there's processes, right? So, so just say you do get connected to a person or to an organization um, or to a program, there's processes you have to go through to get to those next steps. Often, so we need some information from you. We need maybe to attend this meeting. We need you to have your, uh, you know, vital documents, your social security cards and IDs. You know, we need this and we need that. And sometimes our young people just don't have those items or they can't show up when those orientation dates are scheduled. And sometimes that then means that you're uh, kind of not kicked out of a program, but you may have to start over again, you know, you because you missed orientation. Now we got to start at, at ground zero. Young people, like any of us, are busy. They're they're balancing whatever it is in their lives that are important to them. And I think an opportunity for us with, within this conversation with being disconnected is to go upstream, as KYA often talks about, and understand the reason why a young person didn't show up for the orientation, the reason why maybe a young person uh, doesn't have their social security card or ID, and just ask some questions around, is there help or assistance that's needed? Um, instead of saying, well, you didn't show up, so now, you know, unfortunately, you've missed a deadline, or now we have to start back at you know, like I said, ground zero. So I think that it's not anything that's ill-intentioned on anyone's part. It's part of a process that we follow, but I think we have to stop and remember, we're not working with machines, we're working with people and we're trying to assist people and things come up in everyone's lives. You know, you have good intentions to be somewhere when you said you were going to be there and then something happens. So I think, you know, as advocates and supporters of young people, we have to dig deeper and ask, like I said, some of those questions of reasons that that certain things didn't happen the way we thought they were. And when things get kind of off track that, that we had planned, it's absolutely okay to say, you know, it got a little bit off track. Let's just pick it up here and, and go for it. Let's go ahead and get that ID and get whatever it is we need. And let's just keep moving forward. But I think, you know, what I want to convey overall is just that we stick with young people. We stay with them through the process. 
what, at whatever points it is. We stay from beginning to end, however long that takes. That is the commitment that it, that I feel like is needed for young people. And it's the commitment I want in my own life from people who are my supporters. And I think that's part of the, of the part two, that as staff come and go sometimes for other opportunities, that we've got to make sure that it's not just that I'm connected to, to Cynthia or that Shannon or Paul or anyone else on this call, is that we've got to make sure our young people have, as you said, Shannon, a, a large as possible network of supporters. So if I'm gone, Shannon, Cynthia, or whoever has you, on and on and on. Um, so that's that's kind of what I, where I think we can really shore up the areas of being disconnected, um, is to stick with it. If, we off, if we're off process, that's okay. And let's start from beginning to end, whatever that end may look like. And maybe it's never with our young people. Yeah, I, I think just to add, uh, Nikki said that beautifully, and I, I think it is one of the what we see with our youth is um, in those times of transition. I mean, obviously with trauma histories and backgrounds, the, the transition can be even more difficult. And so, things you know, just barriers that Nikki talked about um, in terms of being able to get to an appointment or being able to. Um, you know, fulfill some some of the requirements of a program can be very difficult. I really think having folks and adults, and as she said, not just one or not just two, but you know, as many as possible, who can be reaching out to that to that youth and and doing that, um, you know, really taking that initiative to especially helping them bridge and get through transitions. Um, because I think when we are, you know, any of us can relate that when we're going through a difficult time we may need people who really continue to pursue us. I mean, again, in terms of trauma and how that impacts ability to, um, to forge relationships and sustainable relationships. I think sometimes when you're in the middle of the stress of a transition, you may pull away from relationships a little bit, or there may be, you know, and so how do we make sure that we have, um, you know, I think, I think it gets both systematic and organic, but how do we make sure that we have systems in place that, um, you know, as, and that's something our agency has looked at to make sure that we are sticking with and 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 really staying with those those kiddos through that transition. I think that's just really we all need that, you know. And I know that our kids that are transitioning out need that as well. I think Paula makes a great point about how you know initially sometimes youth can can push away from resources or from connections because of fear. Um, I think, you know, youth go through the system and experience a lot of rejection and a lot of lack of consistency and lack of longevity in relationships. Um, so, so of course they're hesitant and of course they need you to put in that extra effort to show that you're sticking around and that you care for them. Um, another thing I, I feel like is an issue is just education, spreading education to um, people in this situation about what resources are available to them. Um, you know, I, I know from when I was in the system, like everyone always asked me, what do you need? And when I, when I heard that question, I would always think, what am I allowed to need? You know, what, what resources are out there? I, you know, I can't just say something and, and know, and know what's out there to be available to me. So, most of the time I'm like, I have everything I need, I guess. But if there was some kind of, you know, 
someone to go around and, and teach people about what's available to them, then you can say, I didn't even know that that was a possibility. I'm, I'm very excited for this opportunity. So I think the education piece is essential. Yeah, that's Cynthia. That's so powerful too, to talk about like, I, what am I allowed to need? That's um, young people who don't know what's available. Um, aren't going to know necessarily what to ask for. Um, so let's, let's talk more about this. Let's, uh, let's say we are uh, 17 and 364 days old and we are in foster care and we have some decisions to make in front of us. Ideally, we're having conversations about this long before, but sometimes that's not always the case. So if I am just about to turn 18 and I am running into Cynthia or Nikki or Paula, what is something that you would talk to me about as a, as a youth in care uh, uh, related to resources or services? Um, something that we have utilized as a visual just to make it kind of clearer uh, to young people and to supporters in the room is um, we'll have a conversation. We'll generally just ask, you know, what is it that that you're planning to do? Are you here real soon? It's an exciting time in your life. And we'll just kind of ask what the young person uh, has in mind. And then as we kind of build relationship and have a conversation, whatever they've said, if they've said, I'm going to leave care, if they said, I'm going to retransition with the state, but whatever they said, you know, we affirm that and, and just kind of have a conversation. And then uh, generally I have like a post board and we'll just start listing okay so here are some of the expenses right here the things that the bills and and the responsibilities when you're on your own it's exciting and then we'll list like these are some fun activities you're going to want maybe want to do places you're going to want to go and we'll just list everything on a board we just keep just listing everything brainstorming and then I'll say something like wow so if you stay with the with the state, if you retransition, um, so what can we mark off of this of this board? Like, so we can mark off housing. Hopefully, we can mark off, you know, clothing. Let's just start food. Let's start marking stuff off. You know, money for activities. We will just go through. We'll mark things off in one color of a pen or a marker. And then I'll say, okay, so what do we got left? And generally, it's like nothing that's left. And what is left, we're like, well, there's a resource for for a phone as well. Anything that's left. And then we'll say, well, okay, if if you're gonna get an apartment with your friend, or you know, you're gonna work and and get your own place. What on here do we have to now go back and circle, right? That you're going to be responsible for. So we just give a visual. So we're like circling everything, right, <laughs> on, on the board. Uh, so we just give a visual. We try to do it in a way that's not saying you've made a decision that isn't very, you know, maybe wise. We try to do it in, in a way that says, let's just talk about this. Let's consider what are those advantages. And like Cynthia said, what what are the, um, you know, educate uh, me and others on what I do have access to. Um, and so we just kind of make it like an activity and then have that conversation. And a lot of times we'll see young people say, oh, I didn't know that or, oh, that, for, that can happen. Um, and then we'll connect with resources um, to, you know, to, to make sure that they, whatever the decision is going to be, make sure that they understand are informed about what it means to retransition with the state, what it could mean, you know, if you decide not to at this time. And then we also make sure we let young people know that if you do choose to leave, if you feel like you really just need to go out into the world, you do have the opportunity to come back into state's care. And that looks different now with, with COVID-19, but even before COVID, you know, having that opportunity to come back into state's care before your 19th birthday. Um, so again, taking that opportunity to disinform our young people and speak with them on a level that's respectful. Um, about the decisions they think that they're going to make. And it's it's kind of fun to do it that way. And then 
always saying, and I'm here as a support as well, you know, for additional questions as I connect you to other people. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, just with, with having experience, I, you know, if I'm going to be in this role where I'm teaching youth what they have available to them, first, I need to fully educate myself. What resources are out there? Because, you know, it's not always, I'm not always going to pull out a list and say, you know, this is what you need. Sometimes it's about listening to their story and what they have to say and being able to hear key points that say, there's a resource that I know that they could use based off of what they just said. Um, Another approach is just thinking about it from like a hierarchy of needs perspective. Let's start at the bottom. Let's make sure you have safe housing and food. Um, And then we can work our way up to self-care. Like Nikki said, those fun activities are more essential than a lot of people think. Um, You know, we got to teach these youth how to take care of themselves and how to enjoy life because, you know, the the stress that builds up on top of those mental health issues. Um, I, I think it's really important when you have those kind of issues and, and when you've been in the system to know that a life worth living is available to you. Um, it may be hard work, but, you know, with supports like us, you know, we can really, we can really help that youth and we can really listen and, and offer every single thing that they need to get to that place in their life. The only thing I would add is, and you alluded to this, Shannon, I mean, I think it's so important what, if at all possible, that we start having these conversations very early. Um, So one of the things that um, is that we are doing and have been doing for a couple of years now at Mary Harris is even with any of our kids is um, one of the outcomes we look at is making sure that they have connection with um, at least one and ideally two supportive adults and that that starts, you know, at the beginning of their of their care. And we're talking about adults outside of Maryhurst. Obviously, we've got those, um, and they're they're forging those connections. But really making sure that they identify those, and then they 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 say who these people should be, um, and then that we're helping them to cultivate and and maintain those relationships uh, and build those um, in anticipation of of them uh, completing and exiting our program now. With our, with our kids who are older and going to be aging out, um, you know, we are then obviously also working with them on um, the Kentucky Independent Living Curriculum, which offers content that, you know, very practical things like budgeting and um, job application skills and those kinds of things. Um, and a lot, a number of our young ladies we work with, you know, with NECO for, with, you know, participate in housing stability um, service and independent living program. And so, you know, that to Cynthia's point, when you can get those things lined up and those basic needs lined up, um, then that I, you know, obviously it's going to make the transition so much smoother. Um, and, and not that it will be smooth um, and it never is, but it will be much smoother. And so we really work with our, with our young ladies and we, you know, even again, after they leave us, um, we have aftercare counselors who now are able to kind of travel and visit with them and check in with them and, and, and really bridge those transitions. But, um, you know, I, I know that we, all of us on here know this and there's, and agencies are really putting a priority to this, but that transition planning has to happen, you know, so much earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
just wanted to mention some of those other uh, services that are available that we need to keep in mind for young people who are aging out. Um, you know, uh, places like Family Scholar House who support young people who are pursuing secondary post-secondary education. Um, young people who have experienced foster care have access to um, paid education and training vouchers or the Chafee funds related to, uh, to education. There are also um, independent living services that uh, many of our residential care facilities are, are providing as well. Um, things like the Fostering Success Program, which helps to create a, um, an internship type opportunity for young people. Um, but I wanna go back to um, the conversation around that connection to that one or two um, adults. So I think often we see young people who want to go back and reconnect with their family. They are ready, They, regardless of the trauma, regardless of the interaction, regardless of the length of time, we still have young people who wanna go back to the, the family of origin and make that reconnection, often after they turn 18 and they are no longer in state's custody. Um, what are some things that, that you uh, would tell a young person to prepare for if you know that that is their intention um, as they're getting close to that that uh, age of 18 or, or 21 if they've chose, chosen to stay in care? For me, I would start out just by sharing my experience with the program, um, you know, and saying that it, I think that our independent living programs have um, improved a lot since I was in, since I was in care. Um, and even when I was, even in the places that the system failed me, that was still housing for three years, an extra three years of housing where I could truly focus on school. Um, and, and then once I, I finished, um, you know, once I turned 21 and I was done with um, the independent living program, uh, you know, I was homeless for a short period of time. And then I transitioned into the family scholar house program we were just discussing. So, you know, I, I was mentioning, you know, my homeless experience to someone and they were like, have you ever heard of family scholar house? Um, and so, you know, just letting youth know their options, letting youth know, like, you know, you have an opportunity to, be housed and to be academically supported um, if you if you do this and and that's super essential even if you know we're encouraging them to go for a trade rather than a traditional bachelor's degree um, that housing is essential because you know when I was homeless it was very hard to focus on school um, you know I'm focusing on where I'm going to sleep the next night um, so just just making sure that they they have that most essential piece of the housing and that, you know, whatever it comes to about their own family or their pride about being helped. I know some youth struggle with, um, you know, feeling like they want to they want to get out of the system just because they want to have a little control over their life. But reminding them that the best control they can take over their life is to take advantage of the opportunities that they have available to them. And go ahead, Nikki. Thank you, Paul. I was gonna say you go, Paula. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's important what Cynthia said about having your own space. 
um, and your own continuing to put into place your own, um, you know, the things that you need. Um, I, I don't uh, discourage young people from reconnecting with family. Um, as you said, Shannon, whatever that situation may be, because the truth is, is that I may not know everything about that situation because I know what's in someone's file and in their chart does not speak to the relationship. It does not speak to human connection, human need that is foundational and it is fundamental, um, I think, to anyone. Um, and I think we just, you know, I try hard to remember that our young people are people, right? They feel like anybody else. They have needs and they have wants and desires and want connections like anyone else. Um, and if a young person wants to reconnect with their with their biological family or their family of origin or the family that raised them um, and they're of that age to do it, um, what I have found to be an okay approach is to support them. The same way that I feel like in my own life, when I maybe am in a situation, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to handle it. I need support from people. And it is, I think it's completely fine to give a very loving, um, have a very loving conversation with this is what may happen. You know, it, it might be that uh, the family is not very nice to you when you return. It might be that it's a little awkward. I mean, I think it's fine to have a honest conversation, a, a sincere conversation with that young person. I also think it's important that they, that young people get to live their lives in the ways that they feel like are in their, in their best interests. Even if I'm kind of concerned about a situation and I, again, reiterate, I will be there to support you through it as will other people to support you through the process. Call me when you get there, text me, you know, while you're there, call me when you're on your way back or whatever it might be. But I just think we have to remember that at some point, our young people grow up and they do become adults, though we've known them maybe for a very long time. And they get to choose. They get to decide how they're going to live their life. And it's going to be sometimes good decisions and sometimes not so good like any of us. We are there as their supporters. We're there to walk alongside them, not to rule over their life. And we want them to thrive. And we don't want them to look back and say, well, I would have had a chance to see whoever in my family, but, you know, staff or such and such said, no, I don't think it's a good idea. And now there's some emptiness, you know, or a void there. So, you know, at some point, like, like Cynthia, they grow up and we have to let them make some decisions and we support them to the best of our abilities and, and be honest with them. But we support them um, through making decisions about their lives. Yes, I agree, Nikki and Cynthia. And that, what I was simply going to say is a, a it was a few years ago that we became, we really had to reckon with the statistic that about 85% of kids who are in care, even with parental rights terminated, will go back after, um, you know, for some period of time um, after they uh, turn 18 or are age out of care. And so for us, that was, I mean, that was a, that was a turning point. And it was like, okay, this is the reality. And this is what we, you know, this really has to inform how we work with our kids and with our families. And so we began to put things in place and, and, and really try to prepare our kids and our families and, and whenever possible. And, you know, there are a lot of situations where you can include a family to some level um, at some level in treatment, um, even if a return to home is not the permanency you know, goal. And so that's what we do. We put a lot of resources around how do we, um, you know, help to 
build, strengthen, or even in some cases, reconcile those relationships, work with our kids on that. Um, because as you can, I mean, with any of us, if some of the situations that surround how a child came into care, there are so many unresolved um, issues and, and so many unresolved aspects of the relationship. So of course, anybody would want to be able to have some opportunity um, to resolve those. And so um, certainly a lot in terms of, I agree with Nikki, I mean, this is, this is that the choice, this is that child's choice and how do we support them around it? How do we help to build in supports maybe outside of the family and make sure that they have those so that, you know, they do have other people who are pouring into their lives and supporting them as they navigate, um, you know, those kind of those challenging situations. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is, I completely agree uh, with both Cynthia and Nikki in terms of really looking at how just, how do we navigate, help our kids navigate that? Because we know that that's, you know, that's something they're going to do potentially and something that they may need and something that honestly potentially will, will serve them very well later in life. I mean, you know, have, have resolved those relationships. Yeah. And I agree that, um, that the family piece is really essential because like we've been discussing, like you do need that support system and that could be really beneficial, but you know, I think that as advocates, it's our responsibility to almost facilitate that that um, coming together of the family and working on that. We need to teach the youth boundaries um, to not let their family take advantage of them because that is an issue that that some youth have where they will get into these programs where they're being um, financially supported and then and then family will say, oh, well, you know, now you owe me this or owe me that. Um, it's just important to make sure that these, these youth um, are prepared for, for what that looks like. Um, and even some services that we can offer to the parents. Um, you know, if a, if a kid is in the system, there's, there's some reason why. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, wrap our support around those families and, um, you know, and be an example of how, you know, it will look successful on both sides um, and, and how the parent and the child can be accountable and have um, and have good boundaries in order to help maintain a more healthy version of that relationship. Yeah. And, and speaking of family and, and the importance of family, um, I think we've got time for one more question. And I, I want to uh, talk a bit about how policy is uh, previously, it has been impacting our child welfare system of late. So if you've been following KYA and the work that we are doing and many of our partners, you probably are uh, somewhat uh, familiar with the Family First Act that passed in 2018 on the federal level. Um, you also probably aware of some recent statewide policy changes that have happened related to uh, child welfare and child abuse and neglect as well. But thinking about um, Family First and the, the tenants and components of that. Paula, how has that impacted Maryhurst? How has the Family First Act changed the way that you all are doing things or will be doing things in the future? Well, Shannon, specifically as it relates to aftercare, certainly there is a piece of, of the Family First Act that, that requires, um, I believe it's at least six months of aftercare after a child has left a, a residential setting. And so, there is with that, um, 
you know, some very limited <laughs> funding um, to to and reimbursement for that. Um, and that, but what I what I um, I am so grateful that from a federal level there is a recognition that that is important. And so I think I definitely think it's a start. Um, I think you know where we we as an agency strongly believe in that. And so while we we really need more funding to be able to cover those services in the way that that will be most effective. Um, you know what we've done, and because we we do feel so strongly about this, we you know we focused a campaign over the last couple of years that was really dedicated towards covering those more comprehensive um, aftercare services for our kids that that are at Maryhurst. And so you know what we 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 were successful. The community has been very generous and and really um, showed their support. And, and showed how the, that they understand that this is such a critical need for kids. Um, but there are definitely challenges to sustainability. Um, you know, and ultimately I, I would really like to see some sort of you know, bridge funding that, that really isn't dependent on um, even, you know, potentially family first, but, or, you know, commitment status and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I think the big thing for family first is that it did acknowledge and recognize and legislate that aftercare is important and that it's critical. Um, so, you know, I, I, I mean, that's that's really how we've seen it impact us at this point. Um, again, going out to the community and saying, this is what we wanna do and we need you to help us to do that um, has been the second part of that for us. Yeah. And for the, for the whole group, are there other policy or systems level changes, like one uh, policy or systems level change that you think we need to see in Kentucky in order to better support our transition aged youth. Do you have any ideas or notions around that? For me, I, I think the key is trauma-informed care. Um, you know, I think it should be a requirement for a lot of people, um, teachers, counselors, um, even police officers, I think it's just important that, you know, we can um, support our youth in a way that's not re-traumatizing. So if there was some kind of policy that we could have to, to make that, that something that is a higher priority for people who come in contact with youth so much. And something I would um, say too, is that I think it's, really important for our young people to thrive, right? So not just have what they need, but I, but like any of us, we want to thrive um, and go above and beyond. And so I really think that if I had a magic wand and I could say, what is one thing uh, within the child welfare system that you think would be impactful, sustainable, and really, really matters, I would say it's mentors and life coaches. I'll really, my goal, um, is that every young person who is an out-of-home placement has the opportunity to be connected to a mentor or life coach. Um, because I think, as we said within this conversation, one person, one, I, I grew up in a single-parent home. It takes one person, in my opinion, to make a difference in a person's life. And I think that is where you start because we're working with people, again, and not machines. And from there, I think anything really is possible for our young people if they know that there are there are people in their corner, um, not paid necessarily, as Paula said, but people who have chosen to support them and to stay with them, you know, for the long haul. Um, I, that is that is my one wish for our young people um, in out of in out of uh, care place, placement. Absolutely. 
Yeah, Shannon, just to your question about the policy and, and, and funding pieces, I mean, one of the things I would love to see is like some of the money for the American Rescue Plan, um, the funds that are purported, you know, to focus on childhood poverty, that some of that could be directed to newly independent foster youth who, you know, are just starting out and they may not have documented income, um, but finding a way to get some of that funding to that population, I mean, I think is, is one thing I would really, I really advocate for and would like to see um, and, and the other piece, I think Nikki said it so well, is, is having that one, that one person or more. Um, another thing we are, we are further developing in our aftercare work at Mariners is teaching our youth navigation skills. So knowing that as your life changes, as, a, as you may go through different seasons of life, we want to set you up with resources um, for when you leave. But let's just say you move or, you know, you have, you know, different needs at a different point in your life, we really want to focus on helping our kids learn skills that help them navigate in case they're in new situations, new communities, that kind of thing. But again, having that one, hopefully that one or two people that stick with you through all those transitions, but then layering on those skills of how do I set up a network? How do you, you know, how do I reach out? Um, and, and so much of that is, is teaching relationship skills, truthfully. Um, but that's that's another piece I just wanted to throw in in terms of something that we have a heavy focus on. Yeah, I think we heard a lot about the importance of connection, right? And the connectivity of, of uh, youth in care to an adult or to several adults who are there in their corner being a support. And I know I see some folks on this forum that are, are, are people who do that already. We I see uh, foster parents, CASA members, other folks, and I would just... I would, um, I would encourage folks to consider what role you can play in the life of a, of a young person who is making this transition. If it's not foster parenting, maybe it's mentoring. Maybe it's just being there to provide some sort of support or just take them out for lunch or, you know, whatever it is to help create that connectivity, because that is really important. We do not want our young people to feel isolated or alone um, because that just further exacerbates our, our uh, the issues that they're experiencing. So I so appreciate Cynthia, Nikki, Paula for being our member our panel members today and engaging in this conversation. I think we could talk for like six more hours about this because there are so many aspects we didn't dive into real deeply, but um, it is a complex system and there are a lot of compounding issues that can help uh, create a lot of barriers for young people or can um, uh, reduce those barriers. So I'm so glad that we have had time to, to talk about this today. So um, again, thank you. I am going to pass it over to the newest member of Kentucky Youth Advocates, Dr. Kishkumi Price to close us out. Thank you, Shannon. Um, so I have been blessed by hearing this uh, discussion today. So I too want to thank you, Cynthia, Nikki, and Paula um, for, for sharing your insights. And some of the highlights that I um, documented here are to support through transitions and not only support, but to stick and stay. And um, I really appreciated hearing that from you, Nikki. Um, that is not just about the transactional approach, but really being transformative in the strategy of how we support our youth. And also the creation of a larger support network for our young folks and ensuring that 
when we are speaking with them about what they need, that we are clear about the options and the resources. And I think um, your, your words just echoed beyond this platform. Cynthia, when you said, what am I allowed to need? And later on, follow that up with the need for boundaries, right? Being able to say, this, this is what I need and how I need it. And so um, that's really powerful. And I hope you all um, keep that top of mind as you um, move forward in your work with young folks. And then the other pieces here, uh, Paula, as you spoke about the need for navigation skills and really helping um, youth to work through the process, right? There's so much, there's so many opportunities and um, a lot of hurdles and barriers. And so really supporting youth through that. Um, is huge. Um, and then I, I think it also resounded with me um, to not only support in surviving, but thriving. Um, so really being aware of not just the basic needs as um, Cynthia shared, but um, starting there and then building up. And so that is really key. Um, I think that one of the things that I would encourage each of us to do is to ask that question that Cynthia said we should you know, be encouraging or aware of that youth may not know, what am I allowed to need? What are you allowed to need as um, helping professionals, right? Um, taking care of yourselves so that you can be your best self for our, our young folks. So thank you so much. Um, again, thank you to all of the panelists. Uh, we'd also like to thank Aetna Better Health of Kentucky for their support of today's Advocate Virtual Forum. And a quick look ahead to upcoming forums next week, we will discuss parenting and working with kids who have experienced trauma. And the following week, we will continue the theme of National Foster Care Month as we talk about fostering teens. As always, the follow-up emails will include a recording of today's forum, along with the resources we discussed and a link to sign up for next week's forum. Thanks again for joining us and hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.